Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. Me. I'm back. It's Tommy. I'm finally here in Los Angeles talking to you guys, my favorite people in the world. First of all, huge thank you to Ben Rhodes for guest hosting while I was out on the road with Pod Save America talking about the midterms. Those were two fantastic episodes. It was fun to hear how good he is at this. I hope Ben and I are talking a lot more in the uh, coming year. My episode today is about an issue that's been on my mind a lot over the last month. You've all heard about the horrific murder assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi journalist who was killed trying to get wedding papers when he visited the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. I want to talk about that, the U.S. relationship in Saudi Arabia, and also the Saudi civil war in Yemen, which has been raging for years, which has created the worst humanitarian catastrophe on the planet, and yet has gotten very little attention. It took this horrific assassination of one individual, a brave journalist, to get people to take a look at all manner of things that the Saudis are doing that are bad, that are harming our national security, that are harming the planet. So my guest today is a fantastic journalist named Mehdi Hassan. He's a columnist. He's a senior contributor at The Intercept. He's the host of a podcast called Deconstructed, which is fantastic. You should listen to it. He's also the host of Al Jazeera English's Upfront. He has been on the show before. I love talking to him because he pulls no punches. He calls Obama out. He calls Trump out. He calls it like he sees it. So I'm grateful for his perspective. We need more people like him sounding the alarm about these issues and calling truth to power. So here's the interview. Mehdi, thank you so much for taking the time. It's great to talk with you again. Thanks, Tommy. Great to be here. We've talked before. We've talked about this issue uh, via direct message because we both are are terrified and outraged by it. But you know, it's been nearly a month since a Saudi assassination team brutally tortured and killed and dismembered Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. The story has changed enormously during that time. It started with a blanket denial. Now, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, is basically saying someone else did it. He hopes we'll move on. My first question for you is, do you think this is a story they can't run away from? Do you think this could permanently change the way the world interacts with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia? (sighs) Wow, you didn't start off with a softball, did you? That is the $64,000 question, I think. It's the question I've been asking myself since the beginning of this crisis. Aside from the tragedy itself and, and, and you know, remembering Jamal Khashoggi, who was on my show just a few months ago before he was killed, the actual geopolitics of this is crazy because no one expected this story to last for as long as it lasted. Um, I think someone pointed out recently to me that it's one of the longest stories of any story of the Trump news cycle. I mean, most stories, yeah. as you know, Tommy, they disappear within 24 hours. Right. I mean, who remembers Who remembers the New York Times blockbuster investigation into Trump's tax fraud? It feels right. like decades ago. Right. It was a few weeks ago. But this story went on for day after day after day for, for more than a couple of weeks, which was amazing given it's a foreign policy story. And you and I, Tommy, are always desperate to get t- foreign policy more into the news. Um, and you had people paying attention because mm-hmm. it was so outrageous and because, as you say, they kept changing their story, the kind of egregious dishonesty and the mother of all cover-ups, 
as Donald Trump put it, the worst cover-up of cover-ups. And Donald Trump is a master of cover-ups. If he's saying you've done a bad cover-up, it's a bad cover-up. Will it change the relationship? I would like to hope it will, mm-hmm. but I'm not optimistic yeah. because I'm quite cynical in general and especially about the US-Saudi alliance, which is more than seven decades old, has outlasted the Cold War. It's outlasted everything going. You know, A lot of other Middle East alliances have changed, but Saudi Arabia and Israel have been the diehard, reliable allies of the United States in the Middle East. And Donald Trump in particular has put a lot, you know, all of his chips on MBS, the crown prince, and MBS succeeding. So I don't see how it can radically change the relationship mm-hmm. if MBS is still there as de facto ruler and doesn't take responsibility for ordering the gruesome murder of a Saudi national and US resident in a foreign country. And that's really the problem. I don't know where the story goes from here because it has now started to go away from the news agenda, depressingly. I bet the Saudis were celebrating uh, when they saw the news coverage of all these attacks recently mm-hmm. in the US because it basically allowed this story to start falling off the radar. Well, so uh, let me uh, let me go back a little bit in time because you did one of your uh, an episode of deconstructed your podcast which is fantastic and everyone should listen to it by the way earlier this month you talked about the foundation of the relationship between the u.s and saudi arabia you took it all the way back to fdr what has kept this relationship so rock solid over many many decades i think it's a, a multiplicity of factors i think everyone always says oil And oil is obviously a big part of it. Saudi Arabia sells a lot of oil, but oil less so in recent years because the U.S. doesn't need Saudi oil as much. It's a lot to do with Saudi investment in the U.S. economy, the purchase of U.S. weapons, and obviously geopolitics. During the Cold War, Saudi Arabia was one of the kind of the the cops on the beat, I think Noam Chomsky and others referred to it as, Mm -hmm. uh, back with the Shah of Iran and and the Israelis in terms of kind of monitoring the neighborhood and keeping uh, U.S. interests safe in that part of the world. And it's always been a quite reliable ally when it comes to things like, you know, backing up U.S. security interests, despite the fact that it also undermined US security by sponsoring all sorts of awful groups and jihadists Mm -hmm. and extremists across the world. But I do think it fundamentally has come down to money over the years. And although in recent years, and I wrote a piece about this recently, and I talked about it recently on the podcast, I do think the Iran angle is a big part of it. If we're going to talk about modern politics, not just the history and going back to FDR, in recent years, especially since Trump came to office, a lot of the alliance with Saudi Arabia is to do with Iran. The Israelis and the Americans, and when I say the Americans, I mean the Trump administration in particular, want Saudi Arabia to be part of this coalition against Iran. You know, all eyes are on Iran. They're obsessed with the threat from Iran. And therefore, MBS, Netanyahu, there's been this great rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And it's because of Iran. My enemy's enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of why right now you see the Israelis are defending the Saudis. You see a lot of pro-Israeli groups in D.C. and beyond. A lot of neoconservatives who you might think would want democracy in Saudi Arabia saying, no, no, no. MBS is the right guy. He's the reformer. It's because of Iran. But yes, the money is a huge part of it. The money they pay for lobbying, the money they pay in terms of buying weapons. And the same applies in the UK, Tommy. It's not just the US. I'm from Britain. You know, there's a massive debate raging in the UK about whether they need to change the relationship with Saudi Arabia. And again, people are citing, well, what about arms sales? What about the purchase of all these Mm -hmm. other things? So it's a mixture of things, but it has been rock solid up until now. And I'll tell you what. I was shocked to see how much of a backlash there was in this town. And last time I was on your show, we talked about how cynical people are in this town. But I was amazed to see people across the board, Democrats and Republicans, coming out and really castigating Saudi Arabia because nothing like I'd seen before. Saudi Arabia got worse press now for killing Jamal Khashoggi than they got when 15 Saudi nationals crashed planes into the Twin Towers and into the Pentagon. That's amazing. It's it's mind-boggling. In my ongoing effort to... You know, lash my own back when uh, you know when, when discussing bad policy choices. I will say that 
I think for a long time, the conventional wisdom was, okay, if we can get domestic oil production in the U.S. up, that could wean us away from Middle Eastern oil. That was sort of the trope, right? But I've also been amazed with the degree to which an alliance against Iran has kept the U.S. and Saudi together. That was true during the Obama years, the first three or four years when I was in the White House. We were constantly supplying Saudi Arabia with weapons as a hedge against Iran in the region. I mean, that was true then. Very much so. And I think the Obama administration, and we talked about this before, when the nuclear deal happened, there was a sense that the Saudis were very upset. And how do you keep the Saudis happy? What do you offer them? And there was the whole uh, idea of weapon sales. Obama actually sold more weapons to Saudi Arabia than any president uh, in modern history. People always say, oh, Obama and Saudi, they didn't get along. I'm sure they didn't get along personally. And the Saudis weren't happy that he didn't do as much as they wanted him to. But that doesn't change the fact the administration you were part of in the first term uh, did sell a lot of weapons to Saudi Arabia, a record number of uh, weapons to Saudi Arabia. And I know we're going to come on to this. Uh, the Yemen war started yeah. on Obama's watch. And there is a school of thought that says the Obama administration let it get as bad as it got because it was almost like a quid pro quo for, you know, be silent on our Iran deal. I want to talk more about Yemen later because it's such a horrific catastrophe that I think we really need to give it some time. Uh, but I do want to touch on uh, arms sales for a minute. The U.S. president talks about arms sales as if that makes us captive to the Saudis. We, we can't possibly stop selling them these weapons because, you know, he makes up these numbers about jobs. But, you know, the Saudis <laughs> 100 buy. billion, 200 billion, 300 billion. Yeah, I mean, just a quick piece of context. I mean, Trump tries to claim that we signed a $110 billion arms agreement with the Saudis that he says will create 500,000 jobs. That is a total lie. The five biggest U.S. defense contractors who make nearly every item on the Saudi list currently employ 383,000 people. So there's no way that's doing 150% more job creation because of that deal. So, And just to give a, kind of a global context, the same argument is applied across the West because all Western governments have big commercial relationship with Saudi Arabia. Britain, the UK government, which is one of the strongest Western allies of Saudi Arabia, probably second only to the US, the same arguments are going on there, Tommy, about, oh, what about arms sales? What about trade? What about oil? When in actual fact, my friend David Waring, who's just written a book about the Gulf relationship with the West, he points out that all exports of goods and services to Saudi Arabia are just 1% of UK exports. Wow. And only 3% of UK oil comes from Saudi Arabia. But we're still stuck in this kind of old mythical view of, oh, Saudi Arabia sells us all the oil and buys all the weapons. It's just not true. Yeah. And so, okay, so the Saudis buy most of their military equipment from the U.S., the U.K., France, Italy, Germany. Trump is clearly ruled out suspending weapon sales because he's ad- addicted to announcing this fake number. But Germany pledged to suspend arms sales to Riyadh until there's justice for Jamal Khashoggi. In the U.K., I know a bunch of par- members of parliament are calling to halt arms sales. Yeah. There- there's not a coordinated European response, but is there no. is there a groundswell among I regular people? I think there's people? a temporary groundswell, but again, yeah. it depends. I- unfortunately, it comes back to us, Tommy. It comes back to the media and how long this story stays in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Politicians don't do anything unless pressure is put on them. And you look at what happened with Canada, Tommy, just a few weeks before the Jamal Khashoggi killing, the Canadian foreign ministry put out the mildest of mild tweets <laughs> saying, hey, Saudi Arabia, why don't you let out a few of your political prisoners? And MBS, who is notoriously thin-skinned, who does that sound like, lost his mind <laughs> and threw out the Canadian ambassador, cut off all commercial ties with Canada, pulled out all Saudi students out of Canada, pulled out all Saudi medical patients who were in hospitals getting treatment, had to be pulled out. I mean, a overreaction doesn't do it justice simply because the Canadians put out a mild tweet now you might think the western world would have stood with good old Canada not exactly a bully known for bullying other countries no nobody else stood up with Canada Americans certainly didn't stand up uh, for their Canadian neighbors the Trump administration kind of took a punt when they were asked about this row between Canada and Saudi Arabia so and at the time I thought well you know the Canadians will back down eventually unfortunately I don't think they're going to have the upper hand and then Jamal Khashoggi's death came along which enabled Canada to say ha we were ahead of the curve but again whether all these other countries 
and their mild efforts to hold Saudi to account holds is all dependent on whether the attention on Jamal Khashoggi holds. And we know that MBS has said in private that he thinks this will pass. We know that Jared Kushner has told Trump in private, this will pass. My friend MBS, he's still the right guy. Stick with him. The caravan will move on, to borrow another phrase that Trump nuts use. And that's why, and let me just do a plug here, Amnesty International put together a video of journalists from around the world, including Jake Tapper of CNN, Karen Atiyah of The Washington Post. You had uh, Naomi Klein, you had uh, Barakha Dutt from India, Hamid Mir from Pakistan, and I was privileged enough to be part of that group. We all got together and read out uh, Jamal Khashoggi's last column on camera for a video that's gone you know, suitably viral. And I think that's what we have to keep doing. We have to somehow keep his name in the headlines in order to get justice for him, not just justice for him, but make sure Saudi Arabia is held to account for this crazy, crazy policy, sending assassination teams mm. and then doing this weird cover up with body doubles and, and fake beards and suggesting that a 59 year old man died in a fist fight with 15 Saudi government agents and then saying, oh, no, that was a lie. It was actually a premeditated killing, which begs the question, premeditated by who? Tom? Right. Right. Yes, of course. Uh, it, it, by the way, just it, it was a very moving video. I mean, uh, uh, it was great to see that many influential individuals be a part of it. But also, you know, Karen was Jamal Khashoggi's editor at the Washington Post. And I imagine it's a particularly difficult and time for her. And she's been a force of nature on this, she making has. sure that his name stays in the headlines. She has. She has. And I um, hope the Washington Post continue to make sure his name stays in the headlines. Me too. Because it's an outrage what happened. Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Oh man, what would I do? Sleep would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Hang out with my daughter. I don't know. Take a nap, read a book. No, I wouldn't do a book. I, listen, I wish I would pick a book. Yeah, but uh, listen, we all wish we had another hour in a day. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Whoa. My therapist is trying to get me to be still for five minutes a day. So much harder than it sounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah? There's too many videos to see. There will be a podcast in my ear. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you to make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crookedworld. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crookedworld. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. I am amazed at how long this has stayed in the news. I'm proud of the news media for the way they've covered this story. I am ashamed of the entire Western world for the fact that we haven't been covering or talking about the civil war in Yemen that you mentioned earlier. Listeners may have seen a recent New York Times piece by Declan Walsh, accompanied with photos by Tyler Hicks that are beyond disturbing. It is babies, children who are starving to death. Uh, It is the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet. And it is not the result of a drought or a natural food shortage. It's because of war and deliberate choices, both military and economic, made by the government of Saudi Arabia, the coalition forces, and Iran's proxy forces who are fighting in the region. So thinking we could maybe start at the beginning. I mean, when did this war start and what the hell was supposed to be the point? So just before I get into that, just on Please. your point about you know, the, the horrors of Yemen and being ashamed of the West. What was interesting when the Khashoggi news happened, it became a big story. You saw a lot of people on social media. I saw a lot of people on Twitter making this very same point, which was, why is it that it required the death of one journalist, an influential journalist with friends in high places to get Western governments and Western media organizations to pay attention to Saudi misdeeds? Why did the tens of thousands of people dying in Yemen for the last few years, not get the same attention. It's mm-hmm. one of those classic questions, Tommy, you and I can discuss forever about how you get the news media to take seriously foreign conflicts, faraway conflicts. You know, Stalin had that famous line that one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. And that's mm-hmm. often the case when it comes to foreign news coverage. It's easier to identify with Jamal Khashoggi in a consulate than it is to, you know, with nameless and sometimes faceless children yeah. in Yemen. But thanks to Declan and his team, we actually got to see some of those horrific images. You have to go back to 2014, Tommy, and you have the Houthi rebels uh, in the north of the country, in Yemen, fighting in a civil war. Yemen's been plagued by civil wars of all sorts of different factions, ethnic and religious and tribal, been going on for a while. The poorest country in the Middle East, plagued by war and, and hunger, even before this current conflict. And what you have is that the Saudi, a post-Arab Spring, all sorts of deals are done to keep different presidents in power. President Hardy of Yemen is toppled by these Houthis who aren't happy with the the way he runs the country. He flees to Saudi Arabia and says, you must come and help me and get me back in control. They look at Yemen and say, oh, time for proxy war, because the Houthis, they say, are Iranian-backed militias. Even though the Obama administration at the time was saying, actually, the ties between Houthis and Iran, mm, not so great. Saudi Arabia under MBS, who then wasn't the crown prince, he was the defense minister, but was still the same impulsive, reckless, and rather incompetent politician that we see today, uh, (laughs) decides to create a coalition of Arab nations to bomb the poorest nation in the Middle East. That's what he gets all the Arab air forces together for, not to protect the Palestinians, uh, not to do other things that you could do with Arab military power, but to go and bomb in Yemen. In March 2015, the Saudi-led coalition goes to war. Saudi Arabia thinks it's all going to be over very quickly. And yet, 
over three years later, Yemen is still at war. The president still doesn't control the country. The Houthis are still fighting. And human rights groups have accused both sides of committing massive human rights abuses, the Houthis and the coalition. But they say, and the UN says as well, the majority of civilian deaths have come from airstrikes from the Saudi-led coalition. And on top of that, you have hunger and disease which is, as you just pointed out, is not natural disaster. This is a man-made tragedy due to Saudi blockading ports, blockading airports, bombing water sanitation plants. Every day last year, 130 children under the age of five were dying from extreme hunger and disease. That was just in 2017. There was a new report out from uh, Oxfam the other day, which pointed out that one civilian has been killed every three hours, Tommy. Every three hours in fighting in Yemen since the beginning of August. That's just from bombs and bullets, not from disease and hunger. Yeah. So it's a humanitarian catastrophe, as you said. The UN aid chief uh, said earlier this year that the situation in Yemen today looks like the apocalypse. That was the phrase he used. It looks like the apocalypse. And the key point to keep ramming home, this is man-made. This was a war... Uh, that didn't need to be fought, that should have been stopped a long time ago. Jamal Khashoggi, before he died, was saying, please, Saudi Arabia, my government, do a ceasefire, do a unilateral ceasefire, shut this thing down, stop the suffering. And yet the suffering continues. And Donald Trump, and let me just make this clear, because people will say, you went on Tommy Vita's podcast and didn't point out that it was the Obama administration. Tommy, you were part of the Obama administration. The Obama administration was the administration that signed off on this Saudi-led bombing campaign. The US has been complicit in it from the very beginning. But having said that, Trump has escalated U.S. support for the Saudi airstrikes in Yemen, has taken off any restrictions that Obama had on there. And look, both presidents are culpable. But right now, Trump is really, really culpable for what is going on. And we're on the verge of a horrific famine there. Yeah, I want to dig into the Obama piece of this because I think it's definitely worth exploring more. But just two quick points. Uh, There was a recent paper by a lecturer at the London School of Economics that analyzed coalition airstrikes in Yemen. And they found that they were hitting bridges, factories, fishing boats, fields, suggesting they were trying to destroy food production uh, in areas held by Houthi rebels. War crimes. War crimes. Another thing that's important to note is that the Saudi-backed Yemeni government had to transfer their capital. Then they just started printing money anew, and it led to massive inflation. So people can't buy things, even if they wanted to. A whole bunch of government-employed individuals no longer got salaries. So like, this is a crisis that it crosses the entire economy. It's not just people getting bombed and killed. It's people starving to death because there's no food. And here's what's interesting about the bombing and killing part of the equation. The Saudis operate the same lines that they did with Jamal Khashoggi. So they bombed a school bus, Tommy, as you know, in August, a UN school bus, 40 kids murdered, massacred. And by the way, they dropped a US-made bomb. Kudos to CNN, which did an investigation and found that the bomb was supplied by Lockheed Martin here in the United States. And, you know, people say, why do they hate us? Why do people in the Middle East hate the US? Well, maybe it's because of bombings like this. The Saudis bombed the UN school bus. And when they're asked about it, first they say, well, it wasn't us. Then they say, okay, it was us, but there weren't any kids on the bus. They were all fighters. And then they're like, okay, there were kids on the bus. Maybe it was an accident. And it's a classic same thing again. And they get away with it time and time again. So I reached out to some former Obama people, and I'm going to explain their thinking, and then you can have your way with it. You know, they would argue that Obama started gingerly supporting the war in the beginning and then walked back some of that support. In December of 2016, Obama halted some arms sales to Saudi Arabia, citing these civilian casualties. But one thing that bothered me a lot is they continued to refuel coalition planes that were part of that bombing. So there are certainly no clean hands there. I think their sense was... If they cut off support entirely, they would lose all ability to 
throttle back the Saudi or coalition forces, but clearly that didn't work very well in hindsight. So I would say two things in response to that. Number one, I completely agree that the Obama administration, towards the end of its term in office, did try and rein back the Saudis in terms of arms sales and some of the restrictions. And Trump obviously kind of took his foot off the gas and said, do what you will. I don't think that's a defense for the overall conduct of Obama uh, with Yemen. And people say, you know, Syria is the stain on Obama's conscience in the Obama administration when it comes to foreign policy. I actually think it was Yemen because at the end of the day, Syria, whatever you think about Syria, it wasn't a war that was, you know, the U.S. had exact direct control over. Whereas in Yemen, just to push back against your line about, well, you know, losing control over the Saudis. The point about the war in Yemen, and Senator Chris Murphy made this point when I interviewed him on my podcast a few weeks ago, is that this is not just a Saudi-led war. This is a U.S. Saudi-led war. You mentioned refueling, refueling, intelligence, arms sales. The Saudis could not do this war without U.S. support. The U.S. is not just you know, supporting this war from afar. It's complicit and on a daily basis. And I just want to read out to you a quote from Bruce uh, Rydell, mm-hmm. a 30-year veteran of the CIA, former advisor on Middle East policy to four U.S. presidents, including Obama. He said, quote, earlier this year, if the U.S. and U.K. tonight told King Salman this war has to end, It would end tomorrow. The Royal Saudi Air Force cannot operate without American and British support. Think about that statement, Tommy. A a former CIA guy who knows his stuff is saying that if the U.S. told the Saudis the war has to end, it would end tomorrow. We, the West, the U.S., the U.K., has the power to end the world's worst humanitarian crisis tomorrow. And we're not using that power. That is a complete travesty. I personally think it's indefensible. When I left the White House in 2013, all the work that I had done regarding Yemen was uh, you know, specific to targeting AQAP within Yemen. And that was a very serious threat emanating out of Yemen from AQAP. I cannot, for the life of me, understand the strategic interests in helping a proxy war against Iranian-linked sort of forces that is just destroying a nation and killing an entire population. Yep. It's, it's indefensible. And the point about the proxy was interesting because, of course, I, I mentioned a few moments ago that when the war started, the Obama administration itself privately did not think that there were massive ties between the Iranians and the Houthis. But you know what has happened in recent years? There have been massive ties between the Iranians and the Houthis. Mm. Um, the MBS has pushed the Houthis into Iranian arms. It's you know, backfired. Yeah. Classic MBS. I call him the reverse Midas. Whatever he touches turns to shit. So, <laughs> you know, he, he wants to blockade Qatar and cut them off from Iran. He pushes Qatar into Iran's arms. He bombs the Houthis to cut them off from Iran. He pushes them into Iran's arms. You know, he kills Jamal Khashoggi to silence criticism of his country. He gets way more criticism than he ever anticipated. And just on the point about AQAP, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, Mm -hmm. regarded as one of the most vicious Al-Qaeda groups, the US has been droning uh, Yemen for a while now, and we can have a separate debate about whether that worked or not and whether that was right or wrong. But what's so interesting about the current conflict is that all of the investigations on the ground, Associated Press did a massive story in August, is that the Saudis and the Emiratis and this coalition are actually employing al-Qaeda fighters, Tommy, to fight against the Houthis. Oh, good. So not only is it a complete moral catastrophe and humanitarian catastrophe, from a strategic point of view, it makes no sense for the US to be engaging in a war and backing a coalition of which al-Qaeda is the part. What was the point of 17 years of the war on terror if you're just going to join a coalition which includes al-Qaeda? Makes absolutely no sense. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at a dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny, 
Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen to Listen two- to more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. More stuff and content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a foie gras <laughs> Become a member today. Go to cricket.com slash friends now to learn more. You mentioned Senator Chris Murphy. I know also Bernie Sanders. There's some movement in Congress to help push to end this war. I should say Rand Paul has been very tough on calling for accountability. Yeah. With Mike, Mike Lee of Utah. Mike Lee of Utah. So, do, I mean, do you sense any momentum in Congress to actually end this horrifying war? Yeah. So that is the only only bit of good news. And the silver lining on this horrific cloud is there does seem to be momentum. I've been tracking this for a couple of years and I wrote about it last year uh, and I talked to Chris Murphy about it earlier this year. And Murphy believes and others believe, Congressman Ro Khanna in the House who's been uh, very vocal on this, they believe that there is a momentum in the House and the Senate towards ending the war in Yemen, towards at least ending US involvement in the war in Yemen. There have been several votes, Tommy, on this in terms of arms sales. So you can use them as a proxy for support for Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And normally Saudi Arabia used to win votes in the Senate and the House by, you know, huge margins. And now they're all tight. They keep getting smaller and smaller, the margin of victory. And I think it was earlier this year, late last year, there was a Senate vote on arms sales. And it was something like, I can't remember off the top of my head, 53-47. It was tight. Mm-hmm. Murphy's side, Sanders' side, almost won. Yeah. And they believe that post these midterms, especially in the House, there will be a huge momentum to really reassess the relationship with Saudi Arabia, arms sales to Saudi Arabia. There may even be a majority in the House, if not the Senate, to cut some of these arms sales off. And that's why I say to people, you know, midterms, the most important election of your lifetime, we're told. It's not just about Medicare for all. It's not just about impeaching Trump. It's not just about climate change. It's not just about all those other issues. It's actually voting in these midterms could actually 
possibly, potentially save the lives of tens of thousands of Yemeni kids. Damn right. Think about that next Tuesday. Yeah. There's been some pressure from businesses. There was a big investment conference in Saudi Arabia recently. A bunch of major CEOs canceled their appearances. More recently, the WWE, the professional wrestling, they're <laughs> under pressure to cancel an upcoming match in Riyadh. Some colleges are rethinking accepting donations from Saudi state-run businesses. Is this pressure real? Or do you think we'll get back to the bullshit Davos in the desert investment conference yeah, in a year? I think I think not only will we get back to the bullshit Davos in the desert, even the Davos in the desert still happened and American companies still turned up. And they argued on the basis of, you know what, we can't make investment decisions based on the death of one guy who we didn't even know. So, And obviously Yemen's not even on their radar, at least Khashoggi is. So unfortunately, I don't think, I think the, the businesses and the corporations are going to be the last people to this party. If we're going to, you know, I think we can affect change at a political level, I hope, especially post midterms. The media has a role to play here. And I think the businesses will be the last people to come along because for them, it's their bottom lines. And Saudi is still a very good bottom line. And MBS knows that. Yeah. Last question for you. Is there anything listeners can do to actually help with humanitarian relief efforts now? I mean, is the IRC a good avenue? What do you think would be a good way to actually help? I mean, off the top of my head, there's a lot of fantastic charities uh, operating. Obviously, they're limited access because the Saudis have right. literally blockaded. I don't know if you saw there's a story out that I just caught today or yesterday. I didn't look at the details of it, but it was basically the story out was being reported that MBS was insisting on any aid programs that were, uh, that happened in Yemen that they should also reflect favorably on Saudi Arabia. I mean, okay. this guy's astonishing. So if, you, if you're going to do aid work in Saudi Arabia, you also have to praise the Saudi coalition and, and publicly say they're doing a great job in letting aid into the country, uh, which they're not, by the way, according to most independent observers i think look aid is a very important part of this equation and i think there's one another important part of the equation we forget people say what can we do right now there's a refugee ban going on there's a travel ban going on i think we need to work to get rid of that travel ban i want to hear from democrats that the next administration is going to do something about the travel ban the next democratic administration and the house and congress are going to do something about it just because it's had supreme court approval doesn't make it any less heinous and islamophobic Mm -hmm. and racist and completely inhumane you're blocking refugees. Trump has cut the number of refugees from the Middle East while upping the number from white to Europe. Surprise, surprise. And we have this travel ban, uh, which includes countries in the Middle East like Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Sudan, Somalia. So I think there's a lot we can do on the policy front in terms of not just aid, but also shifting our conversation about, you know, right now, Trump wants to talk refugees all the time. He wants to talk migrant caravans. And as much as I hate operating on that terrain with him, sadly, he's able to get the media to dance to his tune. So if we are going to be on that terrain with him, we need to be making the case for why uh, we should be letting in more migrants, both from an economic perspective and from an asylum refugee perspective. This is the United States of America. Totally agree with you. Mehdi, thank you so much. I love that you pull no punches on this stuff because people need to hear it's actually happening and where we as a government are complicit because we can do better, but we need to know uh, what we've done in the past. So I'm very grateful. Appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks for talking about these issues on your show. We need more people doing it here in the US media. We'll keep trying, man. Thanks again and uh, hope to see you soon. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Bye, Betty. Thanks again to Mehdi. You guys should all check out his writing at The Intercept, his podcast, Deconstructed, his work at Al Jazeera English is up front. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next week.